installment, 16, digital transformation. Am I transforming or just churning? How much change is enough? When is too much? Earlier this week, I was talking to a venture capitalist about strategy. He was worried about one of his companies. He's got a brilliant set of founders working in AI. Sounds great, right? Brilliant founders working in the hottest space there is. A surefire success, right? There's just one problem. They have too many ideas. They could solve a lot of different problems. Let's enhance supply chains. Great idea. How about we use AI to improve regulatory effectiveness? Sure, go for it. Let's improve fraud detection with AI. Perfect and on and on and on. They're constantly reacting to the most recent interesting problem they find. He's worried that they're going to spend so much time identifying exciting problems that they won't actually solve any problems. Churn versus transformation. Last week, I discussed a mistake that I frequently see companies make. Many businesses fall in love with their strategy, stubbornly sticking to it, rather than constantly thinking about how to make it better. Today, I'm examining the exact opposite problem, the problem of falling in love with all the ways to improve a strategy and never actually executing. Wait, before you close this article out of frustration, thinking that it's impossible to change and not change at the same time, let me clarify. It's a matter of degree. The problem with the AI startup is that they don't have a North Star. They don't have a mission statement. Rather than deciding on a direction, they have effectively decided that they will just react. They are indulging in solving any interesting AI problem, and there are a lot of them. Building a culture of transformation doesn't mean that you try to solve a new problem every day. Transformation is actually most successful when you think about finding a better way to solve the same problem instead. Let's go back to the example of Alibaba building a cloud company and a payment company. At first glance, your reaction may be that they are solving a bunch of unrelated problems. How to build a better marketplace. How to improve payments. How to build a better cloud. And if their strategy North Star was to be the best online marketplace, this reaction might make sense. But Alibaba's mission is to make it easy to do business anywhere. We do this by giving suppliers the tools necessary to reach a global audience for their products and by helping buyers find products and suppliers quickly and efficiently. Their focus is not just on selling products, but on providing all of the tools necessary to make a marketplace work efficiently. Better payments and better infrastructure definitely make sense when viewed through the lens of their mission. Transformation versus churn analogy. Let's return to our downhill skiing analogy. Imagine you're on your favorite mountain. It's near the end of the day, and you decide to head to the lodge. That's your North Star. Which route you take depends on how you're feeling. If you're exhausted, maybe you cruise down on a winding green. If you're still feeling energized, but you need to meet your ride, maybe you do another steep mogul run. Based on the particular situation, you can get to your goal in different ways. But there's more to consider. As you gather new information, you can change your mind. The cruiser is slushy and painful, and so you gently ski down some intermediate runs instead, or your knee acts up on the moguls and you switch to a groomed slope. The key is that you're always going toward your destination, the lodge, and your ride. What changes mid-journey is how you get there. That's transformation. Churning would involve changing your mind 10 yards down the mogul run, deciding that your knees hurt too much, taking off your skis, walking back up to the top, 
picking a different route, skiing another 10 yards, deciding you don't like that, walking up again and continuing on in this manner. With churning, you're not heading to your goal. You're just getting really sweaty and tired. Go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. Charles Delmar, better off dead, take action to avoid churning. How do you know if you have the right balance in your organization? Take the short quiz. Please use pen and paper to make sure you're fully answering the questions. One, what is your company's mission statement? If you don't have one, write down your primary goal. What is your North Star Two? How much of your and your team's time is dedicated to activities that support your mission statement? Three, what are all of the activities you do that are not supporting your mission? If two is less than 104, why do you do the activities in three next to each non-mission statement activity? Write why you do it, given that it doesn't support your mission statement. Five, how do you allocate your time within the mission statement activities? MSAs list the top 10 in descending order with the most time-consuming one at the top six. How long your company has been working on each MSA and how much each has changed from a strategic and execution standpoint since your company started working on it categorize these as small, medium, large. Seven, how do you measure your, whether you are achieving the goals of your mission statement? What are your KPIs? Ask your colleagues to do their own ratings. Given your answers to the above questions, now you get to rate yourself. Are you finding that middle path and driving enhanced growth with transformation? Or have you fallen too far to one side such that you are either churning or stagnating? Keep in mind that where you fall is a matter of degree. Having your mission statement change too much or too little will both mean you miss transforming. The key here is to raise your awareness of where you're on the right track and where you need some work. Summary. It's difficult to get comfortable with change. Sometimes we react by trying to minimize change. Sometimes we just do too much. The key to transforming for growth is to find the balance. If you keep focused on your North Star mission statement and you continue to try new things that align with it and you measure yourself, then you're headed in the right direction. Installment 17 Digital Transformation, IoT, Internet of Things, and Edge Computing for the Non-Technologist. Part 1. Understanding what technologies do and how they can be used. The Internet of Things, IoT, and Edge Computing are technologies that can seem very technical and intimidating, but in fact, they're technologies that we all interact with every day. This may be obvious to you if you're an early adopter and have a smart home. A smart home uses connected technology to keep your house at the exact right temperature, at the exact appropriate levels of brightness, as secure as possible, while also playing the music you like. But even if you don't have a ring camera alerting you of who is at the door, you still likely use IoT and edge computing without knowing it. If you are someone who checks the weather, you probably know that you get a much more accurate and comprehensive forecast than you would have gotten in 1970. That's due in a large part to all the different sensors, wind humidity temperature that are deployed globally. In other words, you're using IoT. IoT is simply using all of the devices that can connect to the internet. For example, heart rate monitor, humidity sensor fire alarm to provide more and better data to systems. Edge computing is doing analysis on that data while it is still out on or near the device, rather than transmitting it back to a central location for analysis. 
an analogy for IoT and edge computing. IoT and edge computing are both intended to help users more effectively gather and use data. That said, although they have similar usages, they're not the same. To understand the difference, imagine that IoT devices are similar to what is depicted in movies when it comes to the CIA. Agents go out into the field to gather intel. The agents then send that intel back to headquarters where folks analyze it and figure out how to get the bad guy before the end. So Sean Connery is like an IoT device with a martini and a gun. He has the skill to find the data, but he isn't the one usually who analyzes it. Similarly, IoT gathers information from various sensors and sends it back to a single source to be analyzed. Edge computing is a bit more like the information gathering that took place when newspapers actually sent reporters out into the field. These guys didn't just send their notes back to the office. They actually wrote the story, uh, that is, did the analysis and sent the answer that is the story back in because reporters actually understood the situation. That is, they could do the analysis. It was more efficient for them to write up the story while they were on site at the trial or the disaster or wherever. One of the biggest benefits to use edge computing is that because you do the analysis where the data is collected, you're not wasting time sending data back and forth. In the analogy, the reporters actually know the situation so they can write up the story. They take all the facts they gather and consolidate them into a single story, which is much more lightweight to send. You, however, the CIA is looking for trends and they want to compare across multiple sources, which means individual agents need to report back all of the data they gather. Depending on what you're trying to do and what constraints you have on analytic power, bandwidth, device cost capabilities, etc., you may want to use either IoT edge computing or both. Is there someone you know who could use a good analogy to understand these technologies? My overly simple technical description of IoT and edge computing. IoT is a network of connected devices which collect all sorts of data. Edge computing does localized data processing and analysis on or near the devices themselves because it reduces latency and enables real-time decision-making while edge computing is not required. It is a key component in the IoT ecosystem. IoT devices are used to help convert the physical world into digital information, which can be used across a wide range of locations and times. IoT devices are sensors responsible for gathering a small amount of data, such as time and temperature. They collect it at their physical location, whether permanent, like a thermometer on a building, or mobile, like a heart rate monitor on a watch. The sensors can then provide data back to a central system connected to the internet. These things operate with minimal or no human interaction. Their data paints a digital picture of what is happening in the physical world. E, edge computing is when you enable those devices to not just gather data, but to analyze the data. And then you utilize the cloud to perform even more process-intensive analysis by connecting the insights that you have generated to the different locations that need it and support decisions and actions based on those insights. What are the variations and types of IoT devices? There are an almost infinite number of IoT device types that can support the almost infinite types of data in the world. Some of the most common categories of IoT devices include smart home devices designed to automate and enhance various aspects of home life. Examples include smart thermostats, connected lighting systems, smart locks, security cameras, voice assistants, 
smart appliances, and home automation hubs. Industrial IoT, IUOT devices designed to monitor operations, improve safety, and enhance productivity. Examples include sensors and actuators used in manufacturing equipment machinery, energy monitoring systems, predictive maintenance sensors and asset tracking devices, connected cars and vehicles, designed for a range of purposes needed to safely operate a vehicle. Examples include vehicle diagnostics, real-time tracking driver assistance systems, navigation infotainment, and remote vehicle management. Smart city infrastructure, designed to allow automation and increased efficiency in city operations. Examples include smart streetlights, waste management systems, parking sensors, environmental monitoring devices, traffic management systems, and public safety and surveillance systems. Healthcare devices designed to automate and increase efficiency while improving patient health and safety inside and outside of medical facilities. Examples include remote patient monitoring, wearable health trackers, medication management systems, medical sensors, telemedicine equipment, and connected medical devices used in hospitals and clinics. Agriculture and farming, designed to increase the yield and reduce the risk of farming. Examples include soil monitoring, weather tracking irrigation systems, livestock monitoring, crop health monitoring, and automated farming equipment. Retail and inventory management designed to increase customer satisfaction and improve supply chains and marketing. Examples include smart shelves, RFID tags for inventory tracking beacons for location-based marketing, electronic price tags, and smart vending machines. Environmental monitoring designed to help in environmental conservation, disaster management, and public health initiatives. Examples include monitoring environmental factors such as air quality, water quality, weather, and pollution levels. Energy management designed to improve energy distribution and usage. Examples include energy monitoring, smart grid systems, home energy management, smart metering, and optimization of energy consumption in commercial and residential settings. This is absolutely not a complete list either of categories or of uses or devices within a category. If there is data to be had, there could be an IoT device to capture it. If there is data, you wish you had to help run your business do some Googling because there is probably a device that you could use to gather it. And if not, you might be able to build it. Check back in next week to hear about the benefits and trade-offs of, of IoT devices and edge computing. Installment. 18. Digital Transformation, IoT Internet of Things, and Edge Computing for the Non-Technologist Part 2. Understanding what technologies do and how they can be used historically. We have seen a lot of digital innovation happen first in financial services, in large part because it can be a very digital industry. While we have cash, that's actually just a physical representation of a concept that is value. In many other industries, innovation happens more slowly because there is the difficulty of linking the physical and digital. IoT and edge computing are shifting the landscape by increasing the amount of relevant data and by making both data gathering, IoT, and analysis edge computing happen where the physical objects or phenomena are. By bridging the gap between the physical and the digital IoT and edge computing are increasing the ability of many industries to better take advantage of digital technologies. Uh, subscribed, what are the benefits of IoT devices and edge computing? IoT devices, 
IoT devices provide some real advantages over traditional approaches to data gathering. Quality IoT data is trusted because it is generated at the source. Unless there is a mechanical issue or deliberate fraud, you can have confidence that the data is valid. Source data greatly increases the confidence in automation, and the trusted nature of the data makes it ideal to use when multiple parties are requiring the data for contractual usage. Quantity IoT provides large amounts of specific data on supply chains, manufacturing, human behavior, the environment, etc. This is a relatively low-cost way to source the data set needed to leverage big data analytics. Speed IoT devices can provide data in real time to anything connected to the Internet. You can have an instant picture of everything that is going on in your system. Automation IoT devices do not require human intervention in order to collect and report data. Reliability IoT devices provide data at a regular predetermined interval. There is no question of the data not showing up as it is part of the device's design. Edge computing efficiency. Edge computing reduces latency and optimizes bandwidth. By moving data processing to the source of data, generation edge computing reduces delays and decreases the amount of data that traverses the network. This optimizes bandwidth usage, reduces network congestion, and lowers data transfer costs, all of which make possible some time-sensitive applications, for example, autonomous vehicles, critical healthcare monitoring, enhanced security, and privacy. By processing or anonymizing sensitive data at the source edge, Computing reduces the exposure of critical information during transmission. Improved reliability allows applications to function even with network disruptions or latency issues. This is especially valuable where real-time decision-making and uninterrupted operations are crucial, for example, industrial environments, remote locations. These advantages provide real business benefits, including improved efficiency and productivity. IoT enables automation, real-time data monitoring, and intelligent decision-making. All of this leads to improved efficiency and productivity in various sectors. Edge computing allows analysis in parallel without delays due to transmissions. Cost savings improved operational efficiency reduced downtime. Optimized energy consumption, optimized network and processing consumption, and predictive maintenance all reduce costs. By monitoring and analyzing data, businesses can identify additional areas for cost optimization. Enhanced safety and security IoT enables proactive safety and security measures through real-time monitoring and alerts. Edge computing reduces exposure by reducing data in transit. Data-driven insights and decision-making IoT generates a massive amount of data from connected devices. This data can be analyzed either centrally or at a collection point to derive valuable insights. Organizations can gain actionable intelligence, make informed decisions, and improve business strategies based on real-time data, analytics, predictive modeling, and trend analysis. Improved customer experience IoT enables personalized and seamless customer experiences. Through smart devices and IoT-enabled services, businesses can tailor offerings, improve the customer experience, and provide proactive support. Environmental sustainability, smart energy management systems, efficient waste management, precision agriculture, and smart transportation can help conserve resources, reduce carbon footprint, and promote sustainable practices. Who do you know that needs to know more about the benefits of IoT and Edge? Why might I not want to use IoT devices or Edge computing?
Despite the rapid reduction in the cost of IoT devices, there is still a cost associated with each of the devices. And the devices that do the edge computing are generally even more expensive. This is just like how the increasingly low cost of an RFID tag still has not displaced the practically free barcode. Just because something has more capability doesn't mean that you actually benefit from that capability. You need to have a business case that ensures that deployment of the devices gives you the ROI that you are looking for. And obviously, there's no sense in investing in IoT devices if you don't have the infrastructure and analytics to make use of the data. Instead, you can put together a multi-phase plan that starts with the data that you have now, but also takes advantage of other kinds of data that you could collect with IoT devices. Wait to invest in the devices until your analytics infrastructure is ready. It will make your business case much stronger. Additionally, there are still security challenges with IoT. Depending on the investment you are prepared to make or the value of the data, this may mean that IoT or edge computing isn't right for you at the present time. If you want the source data or the analysis to be fully trusted, you need to ensure that there is security throughout the entire value chain. This must include deploying the devices running them, gathering the data, reporting the data analysis back, and analyzing the data. One final issue with IoT devices is that sometimes the company that needs to deploy the devices is not the company that will see the benefit from the data. Here, you need to think more collaboratively about working as an ecosystem in order to make your business case close. There are still sensitivities in some industries based on players trying to force vendors to use IoT devices. It is critical that everyone who's engaged with the gathering of data is also seeing value from the data. The value doesn't have to be the same, but everyone needs to see a positive ROI. From a business perspective, why might I choose a certain IoT or edge computing provider over another? At this stage in the evolution of IoT, different manufacturers may have very different trade-offs in terms of cost and functionality. At some point in the future, we will begin to see lower cost and ubiquitous devices that are perfectly suited for their environment and usage. Until that day, you need to figure out which trade-offs you're willing to accept in terms of quantity quality and the availability of data compared to the price. Once you do that, then you can begin your search for the vendor that most closely matches those criteria. Edge computing is a newer area, so you'll need to choose your priorities more carefully here. Depending on what you're trying to do, there may only be a single vendor that meets your business requirements. It's critical that you understand what you require to get the value that you have defined in your business case. And if it's not yet technically possible at your price point, you need to redo your business case or wait until it is. Summary IoT and edge computing will affect every industry and facet of our lives in the coming decades. This does not mean that these technologies are always the answer. Remember a key theme of this series, use the best technology, not the newest. However, there can be significant benefits to increasing the amount of data that is gathered or gatherable and improving the ability to get insights from that data. As with all technologies, though, IoT and Edge are only interesting if they work in your business case and if they help you further improve your differentiation. Installment 19 Digital Transformation navigating your competitive landscape. Who is going to put you out of business?
The biggest reason to make sure that you're doing digital transformation well is to ensure that you don't get left behind. If you don't cannibalize yourself, someone else will. History is filled with examples of companies that have been incorrectly convinced that they will be around forever. I grew up in Pittsburgh. We had an entire industry wiped out because the U.S. steel companies thought they needn't concern themselves with making steel in new and better ways, and the rate of change has only increased. If you want to be around for even the next decade, you need to be thinking about how you are going to change your business and possibly even your industry. Because if you don't, someone else will. Uh, where is my competition going to come from? The problem that many companies have with competition is that they spend all of their time looking at historical competitors rather than emerging ones. U.S. Steel was worried about Bethlehem Steel and J.L. Steel when they should have been worried about Nippon Steel and POSCO. The Japanese and the Koreans approached steel making in a more modern way, allowing them to produce much cheaper steel. Meanwhile, Blockbuster Video probably felt secure as the newcomer threatening the movie theaters. They also got too comfortable, and Netflix and other streaming platforms put them out of business. But this ending is not inevitable. In the middle of the 20th century, IBM was the dominant player in the typewriter business. But unlike Smith and Corona, who filed for bankruptcy in 1995, IBM transformed and became a provider of PCs. Competition can come from your historical competitors, but it also can come from new and unexpected places. I divide new competitors into two main types. Startups. Incumbents from a different industry or business. Both categories can provide you with strong competitors, and if you don't know what is going on with these potential competitors, you need to. You need to change the way you think about both competitive analysis and digital transformation. Thinking about competitors. Companies that are already in your same business are a threat. However, this perspective misses the biggest threats, the ones that won't just take a bigger share, but will actually put you out of business. Not that you shouldn't track your direct competitors. You absolutely should. But you also need to look at how the industry itself is shifting and who may be trying to enter. Part of this you can see by looking at the market landscape, but part of this you will only see by thinking about how your business can change. Let's look at how the two different buckets of new entrants affect the market differently. Startups. Startups enter the market with some big disadvantages. They don't have any existing assets or relationships. But on the plus side, they also don't have any of the legacy processes, thinking, or assets. They are free to solve customers' needs optimally with the full range of today's technologies. In order to compete against this, your existing position has to be worth something. Your brand, your relationships, your data, your assets all need to contribute to your differentiation. The question is, how do you redeploy those leveraging new technology to become something new? In choosing what to prioritize as part of your digital transformation, you need to consider how quickly the landscape is changing. Your market may be moving fast and you might be mere months away from obsolescence, or you may already have missed the window and you just don't know it yet. It may be stagnating ripe for innovation, or you may be catching it at the right moment. A big part of the market dynamism is the result of how much these nimble competitors and their funders will invest. And a large factor in the decision to invest involves how technology innovation has changed what is required for value delivery. 
In the 1980s, the necessary investment to build payments networks wasn't something a startup could do. 30 years later, we suddenly saw tons of payment companies using the internet to address these old systemic issues. The rise of the internet made what would have been prohibitively expensive into something that was barely a stretch. The biggest advantage that incumbents usually have against startups is trust and confidence. They are a known entity, and as long as their offering is good enough, they can usually keep their customers. But many of them lose out because they don't even take the necessary actions to keep their offering good enough. Startups can be more nimble, and they aren't blocked by legacy systems. But the balance between avoiding too many processes and not having enough processes to ensure that bad things don't happen is a fine line. If you're in a profitable market, startups will try to find cheaper, easier, and better ways to deliver to your clients. The key is to stay ahead of them by innovating and continuing to push yourself to deliver better and cheaper for the customer. Who else in your company is thinking about the competition? Give them a leg up. Share this. Incumbents from a different industry or business. Sometimes change occurs because an existing player in a different industry looks at the problem from a different perspective. These competitors can be formidable because unlike startups, they have an existing reputation, customer base, war chest, and assets. They can often take their existing capabilities or offerings and use them to rethink a related industry. One of my favorite examples of this is Apple. In 2007, they were a PC company competing against IBM and HP. At this point, the big mobile phone players were Motorola, Ericsson, Samsung, Nokia, and BlackBerry. Fifteen years later, Samsung is the only one that is still a major player in the phone space, and Apple took their expertise in user interface and applied it in this adjacent space and consequently redefined the mobile phone industry. Similarly, if in 2000, someone tried to guess which companies would be the biggest when it comes to providing infrastructure to the Fortune 500 in 2020, they likely wouldn't have guessed Amazon would dominate. At the time, they were an online bookstore, but today Amazon is one of the world's largest cloud providers. They built their cloud to run their business better and then realized that letting customers use it as well was a much better business model. They evolved the cloud offering based on what they, as their own first customer, needed to make cloud most useful. These big companies have the advantage of scale. However, they are disadvantaged in knowing their new customers. They often sell to a totally different market. Amazon sells to consumers, and AWS sells B2B. They need to adapt in order to truly address the needs of the new market. And they have to be ruthless when it comes to which parts of their existing business are competitive enough to continue being invested in. When they find a new way to use their existing differentiation, their scale can make them unstoppable. However, they're often as hamstrung as the original players when it comes to being slow because of their existing scale. For the incumbent from a different industry, the real secret of success is to use that existing differentiation in a new way at scale. Summary. As you look at potential competitors, you need to pay attention to what kind of announcements you're hearing in related market segments. It is no longer enough to have a small list of companies that your competitive analysis team tracks. You do need to know what your 35 biggest competitors are doing. It just is no longer sufficient. You need to look at what startups are being funded in your space and what news is coming out 
of adjacent markets. You need to be watching to see who is meeting which of your customer needs and how that changes your view of who your competitors are. Installment, 20 Digital Transformation Building, a minimum viable strategy, MVS. What do you really need to get started? Your minimum viable strategy, MVS, is the plan you need to grow your business. Forget everything you've ever learned about expensive strategy projects. Overinvesting and building a perfect strategy doesn't get you the best results. It just costs you time and money. Instead, you need to focus on the key components of what you need to do do differently. You need to build this into a data-supported strategy, but one that you can define quickly. Because the faster you finish, the faster you can start executing. And the faster you do that, the faster you realize which assumptions were incorrect. An MVS gives you a direction and a goal to work towards a mission statement, a North Star, without wasting time and effort on unnecessary details. The key to a good MVS is spending your time figuring out what matters up front before you get bogged down in the minutiae. You don't want to burn cycles trying to get clarity that either doesn't matter or isn't important yet. As you define your MVS, please keep in mind that you cannot afford for digital transformation to be a separate project from your business strategy. Given how rapidly technology evolves, business models also need to regularly evolve. It's absolutely critical that every company build a culture of transformation, and in 2023, most if not all of your transformation will leverage digital tools. Digital transformation is no longer a separate track that your innovation team can work on or simply a growth strategy. It needs to be a foundational part of your company's strategy as your continued viability as a business depends on it. Getting started with a minimum viable strategy. We've talked about some obstacles to building a minimum viable strategy, including getting distracted by shiny objects over-investing to make a great strategy churning, etc. Since I've already discussed what not to do, let's discuss how you actually build your MVS and how you know when it's done. Unfortunately, it's not always easy to tell what is good enough. It can take a lot of practice. So this may well be one of those cases where, as Justice Potter Stewart said, I know it when I see it in point one. If you don't have the experience to know it when you see it, then you need to find someone who can help you. This person can either be inside your company or an external partner. Seriously, all the big strategy consulting firms teach their consultants via the apprenticeship model. You can learn the same way. It might sound easy to do it yourself, but you will save yourself a world of frustration if you have someone who's already experienced in the envious process work with you on it the first time. If you feel like maybe you know enough to get started, or if you want to understand what you should expect from a good consultant, I'm going to share a framework that you can use to maximize your chance developing a solid MVS. And it's as easy as a BCDEFG. Absolutely all good strategies share the following characteristics. They result from collaboration. They are well supported with data. They examine assumptions. They are well framed. They show a gain. Who are your collaborators? Share this with them. To be clear, this framework will not help you actually build the strategy itself, but it will help you make sure that you're maximizing your chance of getting a good MVS without wasting cycles. You need to start by putting a stake in the ground on where you want your business to go. Your mission statement, your North Star. This may change as you work, 
but you need to start somewhere. Here are a few things to think about to get started. You'll find more as you go along. Are you moving toward a new market? Should you expand your offerings? Do you need to partner differently? What is it that makes you think about change? The business portion of the strategy must outline a clear vision of where the overall business is going with equal clarity provided for what the components need to be. One test you can perform to determine if your MVS is good enough will involve whether your top-level leadership approves. Essentially, is it coherent vision that people can get behind? Also make sure it makes sense from a bottom-up perspective. Does it look like you can execute on it, and does it align with the realities of your business? The letters help you remember that building your MVS is not a step-by-step -step process. Rather, it's iterative. After you've determined an initial high-level picture of where your business is headed, you will need to look at data with your colleagues in order to begin to frame your strategy. Then you will want to examine your assumptions and evaluate whether you really are getting what you need. And then you need to take a fresh look at the data or look at new data to see whether it still supports what you're doing. And it won't work at all if everyone on your team doesn't feel comfortable questioning and defending choices. I warned you it would be messy, so it really is best if you have someone on the team that feels comfortable leading the strategy building. Summary Building An MVS is not about sitting in an ivory tower and dreaming great thoughts, but nor does it involve putting 100 people to work for a year to predict the future. Building an MVS is about looking at what the data about your market, your customers, your company, etc., is telling you then figuring out what the optimal goal is for you and where that means you need to start heading now. To keep it an MVS, you need to make sure that you're not overplanning it. Yes, you need to have a long-term goal, but your strategy will likely change and how you move toward it will definitely change. You do not have enough control over the market technology, innovation, your competitors old new, or your customers' expectations to choose a path that will not change, so don't waste your time trying to come up with one. We'll talk about the CDEFG steps in the next few weeks as we get concrete on how to optimize your MVS given the resources that you currently have.